and this is where where the Lord has called Clarissa and I. We we did say coming here that we kind of figured 15 years and we'll go somewhere and and scale back, semi-retire. Let me tell you something. I love Fort Worth so much, I can never imagine leaving. And that's a part of Texas. You know, I've not been all the other parts of Texas, but Fort Worth, we just absolutely love. Uh, for, for me, as I, as I got started in the sabbatical, this was not an eight-week vacation. Uh, you've heard me preach before. I'll preach it again. We were created human beings, and sin came along and caused us to be human doings. And so the sabbatical for me is stepping away from what I had to be careful became who I was, my identity in, in this thing called the pastorate. I didn't, I didn't want that. I never want that. I want to I just be who God created me to be as he, uh, you know, daily makes me more and more like his son, Jesus. But the things that we all do can distract and pull us away from God's real original intent for us. Um, I I always say, I like going to churches. Uh, There was one Sunday because we went to Wisconsin and married uh, uh, Nate and Rachel. Some of you remember Nate Dykeman. We did that in early June. Uh, But but I actually, in my time away, I visited eight churches, different churches, and only one of them being an Assembly of God church. Uh, I went to churches that were uh, significantly uh, polar opposite from each other. Uh, A couple weeks ago, Clarissa was so gracious to go with me. Uh, She went with me to an Anglican church. Uh, she, my wife, uh, uh, refused communion because they all drank out of the same cup. And because I wanted to remain married, I stayed back with my wife and didn't go up and join. Uh, but but the, what was interesting is the Anglican, uh, the Anglican worship, is, it's all about God. The, the people that were there, and there wasn't many, uh, they, they were there because it was their focus was completely 100% toward God. But the, the, they really kind of felt like the, the whole experience did not connect God Monday through Saturday. Now, the other end of the spectrum that we went to was a church that was all about you. I mean, it was all about you. Uh, the, 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 the theme, everything, I, and, and it was, it was, I felt so bad in my spirit. This is how bad I felt in my spirit. I walked out. Our daughter was in town that, uh, for a couple days that week, and, and her and Josh and Clarissa and I went. I walked out, and the first thing I said, was I'm sorry. Don't grieve me. Why should I ever have to apologize for taking someone to a church? Because Jesus was not the center. He was not the purpose. The crowd, and and it was packed. It was packed with people who were not being led to surrender their lives for Jesus's life. But that Jesus just is going to do everything for you. And it's all about you. And there's going to be a day where, uh, as it's unfortunate, it's going to be, they're going to find a great place of disappointment. The last two weeks of my sabbatical, I, I really kind of got antsy. Uh, I got antsy to the place where I snuck into the office a couple times. Clarissa got on my case about it, but I, I you know, and because I, I really felt the Lord was starting to, to bring me to a place where he wanted to begin to show me a 30,000 foot view of Bethel. And I'm telling you, in my spirit, I am invigorated and excited in what God has in store for all of us today. Now, I could take the next eight hours since I've been gone for eight weeks and tell you all that God's in store, but no, I'm not going to begin to unveil what God began to talk to me about until next week. And then and it's going to be a progressive thing over time. But I, I'm telling you, God, is, God has an intent and a plan for Bethel that if you will choose, if you will say yes to him, He will step us into one of the most exciting, powerful experiences that that may rival, for some of you old-timers, 
all of Bethel's history. So uh, that's just kind of a big commercial, but we'll do, I'll be talking about that over the next number of weeks as we come together. But in our time together this morning, I do want to share something that the Lord laid upon my heart. So I'd like you to turn to Matthew chapter 24. As, uh, as, I'm, as I was getting ready for uh, this sermon, it's kind of cute. I I, at the beginning, I'm like, man, I haven't done this in so long, and this has taken forever, God, and it's not coming to like I think you're saying. And then the Lord did a couple of things over the last few days that I think really showed that, uh, that, that if, you will, if you'll open your hearts to the word this morning and allow the word to, to, uh, to kill off the things that are keeping you from a life of expectancy, then you'll find that your life will be uh, incredibly transformed. Uh, so much to this way, it, it's, it wasn't, for me, it wasn't just one event. When we were in Philadelphia, we were going from Independence Hall to this market 10 blocks away, and we're just walking along. And, and Philadelphia is a large city, a lot of people outside, because it's not like Texas, where it's a billion plus degrees. They were complaining about heat, and I'm like, this is nothing. And, uh, but it was, it was really gorgeous. And, we're, and, and me and another person on Newman's staff was walking, and all of a sudden, as we're just in this heavy pace, this demon... Uh, manifests itself right next to me and starts calling me all these names and cursing at me as I'm walking down the road. Now, um, I didn't stop and say, come out in Jesus' name. It took me five steps to figure what was going on. And then they continued with the next group behind us, the very same behavior. Uh, last night, I came to, to Bethel and and I drive up, it was about 8 o'clock last night, and I would just ask, Eric had texted me, asked me to do something, and, and so I, I came over, and as I drive up, there was a homeless person out front, and I rolled my window down, and I said, hey, can I help you? And they wanted to donate some books. And, and they, they had, and I don't say this in a laughing matter, but I wanted to get you a sense of, of something powerfully that God is doing. They, they have this one uh, I guess it was a slipper. It was about that big on this foot and a different shoe on the other foot. And as I'm talking with them and, and they're donating these books because she can't carry them around, uh, one of our maintenance guy drives up and a, and a guy walks up toward him. He's been walking from over there, starts cussing him out. This is not common behavior, believe it or not, for Bethel's property. You may think, well, because of the neighborhood, it should be. But let me tell you something, it's not common. And she turned to me and she says, kill him. And I looked at her and I said, I said, I think we just need to show him the love of Jesus. And that's even more powerful than killing him. And the Lord began to talk to me about the, the day in which we live and what I want to talk to you about, a life of expectancy, that again, if you open your hearts there's going to be an opening to the, what God is doing in a, in a very powerful and a real way in your life. Not that demons are going to manifest when you go to work. You may feel like your boss is that way. Not, that's not necessarily the case. But, but there is a life that, we are, that we're ultimately called to. And of course, Matthew 24 and Matthew 25, it's the, the Olivet Discourse where there, Jesus is teaching on end times. He also does it uh, not near to the extent, but it's recorded in Luke chapter 21 and also in Mark chapter 13. But certainly Matthew is the most extensive in this area. Now, the sermon this morning is not about all the, the reasons and why Jesus is coming back. But I do want to tell you this. Jesus is coming back soon. Jesus is coming back soon. 
when Jesus was giving this discourse to his disciples, they had really the same three questions that you and I have on our hearts at some point, at some time, if we're followers of Jesus. And it's simply, when will it happen? What will the signs of his coming be? And what will be the sign of the end of the age? I don't intend to nor plan on answering really any of these questions this morning, but they're common questions, so much so that, that throughout time, uh, this, these questions have been answered as people have written about and talked about Matthew chapter 24 and Matthew chapter 25. When we think about the end times and Jesus' return, it is our blessed hope. It's our longing that we will see Jesus come back. Now, I, I don't know about you, I'm a people person. When that person dies, and if they're a follower of Jesus, they are in Christ, they're, they're going to go to heaven. But me being a people person, I want to go with everybody. That's called the rapture. So we all go together. I look forward to that. In fact, it's, uh, we live in a day where more and more people are looking and desiring. In fact, there, there, are, there are many that believe we are, we are on the, the precipice of a third awakening in our country. Back in the 1800s, in one of the awakenings in the Great Revival in Northeast uh, United States, there was a time where, again, people had a lot of interest in prophecy and especially concerning to the return of Jesus. There was a man that came to faith, and after coming to faith, his name being William Miller, he immersed himself in the book of Daniel. If you're unaware, book of Daniel is a very important uh, prophetic book in regards to end times. And he immersed himself, and after 14 years of study, he announced that Christ would return on earth sometime in 1843 or 1844, and eventually he nailed it down to October 22nd, 1844. No, you didn't miss it. In fact, on the morning of October 22nd, uh, 1844, thousands of people gathered around the country, especially more in the Northeast, and in churches. Uh, others actually went to graveyards, planning to ascend together with their departed loved ones. In Philadelphia, uh, the Philadelphia Society of Ladies uh, clustered together outside the town to avoid entering God's kingdom with commoners. Well, we know that the day passed pretty uneventfully, and Christians grew delusioned. Uh, the unsaved became cynical. Uh, the event became known as the great disappointment. But still, many of Miller's followers started the Seventh-day Adventist church. Now, you may be one that you're really fascinated by prophecies, and so you, you delve into the, the things of Jesus coming back, or maybe you're the type of person that's a bit frustrated that you've been hearing Jesus is going to return your whole life and you wonder where he is. And it really is between these two things, between trying to decode current events and not caring about the days and seasons that I think the Lord would have us address today so that ultimately we live a life of expectancy. Matthew chapter 24, I want to pick it up in verse 36. Jesus says, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the sun. I don't know who this is for this morning, but I want to stop just in that statement. He says, nor the sun. 
if you have a theology where you believe that Jesus did everything Jesus did because he was God, that verse makes no sense. Jesus did everything he did through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the activity of the Spirit bringing glory to the Father as a man. And he did not know the time nor the hour that the Father had set forth. That's not the sermon, but I feel someone needs to hear that this morning. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware. Say that word, unaware. Until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake. Say those words, stay awake. For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have, what's the next words? Stayed awake and would not have left his house, would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you must be ready. Say those words, be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Here's the place of connect this morning that I, I really want you to be at a place where you believe this at the core of who you are. And it's simply this. A life of expectancy is expected from the expected one. You say that again. A life of expectancy is expected from the expected one. Now, I mentioned earlier, there really are people that find themselves in one of two camps. There are those in the first camp who they are trying to uh, find as much as they can in current events so that they can get a sense of when Jesus will return. So they spend an enormous amount of time studying and trying to figure out what Jesus is, the world is doing so we can know if Jesus is coming back. So they watch, they, they, they listen to every preacher, prophet that's saying Jesus is going to come here, Jesus is going to come here. In fact, what I have found over the years is they spend more time learning than leading people into the kingdom. They see every bad thing that happens in their life and around their life and around Fort Worth or around the state of Texas or in the United States of America as yet another sign that Jesus is coming back. And ultimately, this is fueled by a belief that Jesus is coming back so that we might live a life of escapism, where we're just looking to get out of the problem. We're just looking to get through to, to the other side. And what it ends up being is some, the person ends up being in some trapped Nick Cage summer movie flop. If you've ever watched Nick Cage's stuff, you would have gotten that. 
But our hope is not found in decoding the seasons and the days and the hours in which we live. It's certainly not found in whatever the common news cycle is. Our hope is found in Jesus and Jesus Christ alone. But it really isn't this group that I'm most concerned about. It's the other group. It's the group that they're so caught up in what they do Monday through Friday and what they do on Saturday and and where they're taking their next vacation and what they're going to buy next, that they are so entrenched, they're so anchored in this life, in this culture, that they are too weighted down that when Jesus comes, they're not prepared to be lifted up. Now, when I was a kid, some of you might have been like this. Some of you weren't raised in a Christian home. I was worried that I would miss the rapture because the rapture of the church, the coming of Jesus, the idea of the only way of getting into heaven after Jesus coming back was to get your head lopped off. And knowing that as a nine-year-old boy was a healthy thing. But do your kids know about the rapture of the church? Would your kids come home and and find you gone and get worried that they missed the rapture of the church? That is not, I know psychologists would say that is unhealthy, but I'm telling you, it's completely healthy to put the fear of Jesus Christ's return into every small child that we possibly can. Think about yourself. When's the last time that you thought about the return of Jesus? If Jesus came back next Tuesday, how far away would the thoughts of him returning be in your life? Jesus said it would be as in the days of Noah. Important words that he says, as in the days of Noah. And sin was really great in the days of Noah. And sin is increasing today. I'm telling you, sin's increasing today. Now, I've heard the excuses. I've heard people say, well, that's just because we have more information available to us. I'm telling you, sin is increasing today. Sin is becoming a normal way of life. Where now we're seeing uh, things that are right and good are now presented as bad and wrong. Things that are bad and wrong is presented as things that are good and right. Also says that the earth was corrupt. Let me tell you something. This was not the first global warming person in the world. That's not what it's describing. It's not saying that the world was corrupt. The world was corrupt because of the sin and the murder that was taking place. I, I, oftentimes I don't really, I don't even know if I could grasp it, but I've tried to sit and ponder what it must be like for the great God of heaven who, who can simultaneously not, not only know every word that is spoken, but knows the number of hairs that are on our head, what it must be like for him to be in heaven, where when he, when he talks to Cain and he says, the blood of Abel cries out, what it must be like for him to turn his ear towards America, where 60 million babies have had their blood poured out because of the inconvenience of their life upon someone else. What must that be like for that God? What must it be like for a God to hear the blood of someone who was, who was killed because, in Africa because they were not born in the right tribe? What must it be like? What, what, I'll tell you what it is. It's a corrupt world where the blood cries out and wants vengeance for that which was done wrong to them. 
there's, there's an area of Genesis chapter 6 where it talks about the sons of God and the daughters of men that is certainly open to a lot of great debate. But I want you to look at it, however you've ever heard this before, I want you to look at it just a little bit differently. Because wherever you fall in the area of the Nephilim, uh, it doesn't matter. Because here's the reality. The sons of God became unfaithful. It's very clear. The sons of God became unfaithful. I should not have to be so tore up in my spirit that I should have to apologize when I leave a church. The sons of God have become unfaithful. You're going, boy, we're not letting him gone for eight weeks again because he comes back way too hard for us. But here's the thing. Noah, he's building this ark. Nobody wanted to listen. It was, yeah, boy, that was another good sermon, Noah. Off to lunch. If they would have listened, let me hear me on this. It took Noah 100 years to build that boat. Why? Because no one listened to the message. He had to do it on his own. The body of Christ is not called to do things on its own. But the body of Christ ends up doing a lot of things on its own because people won't listen to the word of God. Just like in uh, many of people's lives. And this was a, this was a prof- I had a profound moment in, in my sabbatical. And it had to do with when you have nowhere to go, and you don't have anything to do, you begin to look at life a little different. In Noah's day, they were just, they were way, and it's hard to imagine, because let me tell you something, they didn't have iPhones or Androids. They didn't have tablets. They didn't have cars. They, they couldn't do what I did, jump on a plane on Thursday, go to Philadelphia, come back on Saturday. Their lives were way too busy. And there was a moment that I was driving, and as I'm driving on, I think it was, it was I-30, I realized I wasn't in the rocket lane. I'm always in the rocket lane. Oh, for those of you that are new to Texas, that's the left lane. Do 100 and for rockets. And I began to recognize that, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, something's happening. And I was in a conversation with someone, and as I'm talking to them, I had nowhere to go. And I... I I have always believed when I'm talking to somebody, giving them 100% attention. But that doesn't mean on the inside I'm not moving on to the next thing. All of a sudden, I'm slowing down going, wait a minute, this moment, this opportunity is only now. And I hope, I, and you can pray for me, and I, I pray that everybody really gets to this place, that we can we not get so busy in the stuff that we miss the moments. We don't know how much Noah's family was involved in, in that because it's not a full discourse on everything that took place. But, but certainly, Noah was the only one in his world that we know prepared, who prepared himself for the coming judgment. And Jesus knew our tendencies to get caught up in the life of the day. And so he spent 
a good amount of time telling stories because he expects you and I to live with expectation of his coming. And so what he did is in Matthew 24 and then 25, he gives uh, five, but ultimately he gives six parables about a life of expectancy that he looks for in you and I. Now, the um, six, the number six, by the way, has incredible importance. Uh, six, first and foremost, has to do with speaks of man's weakness. It also has to, it's the precursor to man's rest. It's also, uh, it's also a number that looks forward to uh, restored correction. And so as Jesus is, has given these stories, he's given six of them. Because he's speaking to your and I's humanity that has every tendency, every propensity to get stuck down, to get locked down, to get weighted down in the life in which we live now. And so I really just think that for the next couple minutes, I just want to kind of walk through really quickly. I'm not taking much time. These six parables, because I think it helps us to know where our tendency is to be. And ultimately, where God wants us to grow into, where we live a life of, where it becomes the normal uh, part of our life. And so I want to start with the one that is not in um, Matthew 24 and 25, but it's actually in Mark uh, uh, 13. And it's it's the story of the doorkeeper. And the story of the doorkeeper has everything to do with not being apathetic, but being attentive. Not being apathetic, but being attentive. Now, think of it this way. If you've ever been to a resort, an exceptionally nice hotel, or a a very expensive apartment complex, there's a doorkeeper. And that person's responsibility is to wait for whoever is coming to step up so they can open the door and let them in. And that's what Jesus is telling that we're to be. We're not not to be be apathetic, uh, here, if it, I've not been a lot around a lot of doorkeepers, but I could see doorkeepers really getting caught up on their phones, right? So zoomed in here, and they miss the person that's walked up. I know none of our greeters have ever done that. I'm kidding. I just have to that just in case. But not an apathetic approach to the coming of Jesus, but one that is attentive and looking for his return. Then, then one of them, the next one I already read in this portion of scripture in Matthew chapter 24 that has to do with the master of the house. The master of the house is not assuming, but he's active. Now, there's a reason Jesus calls him the master of the house. It's because it's his responsibility to protect that which has been given to him, whether it is items or it's people. Americans um, by the way, spend $2.6 billion annually on home security. I even recently came up with an incredible home security thing, which I'm not going to go into. But the master of the house takes care of the responsibility, making sure that the enemy cannot come and take away what God has in store of coming and taking. Who's the master of your house? Who's the master of your house? And as the master of the house, are you finding yourself being really assuming, well, my kids will just evolve into good Christians? Are you actively being attentive 
to the reality of Jesus's return. So you are doing things that protect. You are doing things that move them in the right direction. Then Jesus gives another one about a servant. He gives a whole thing in the latter part of chapter 24 about a servant. And, and the servant is not about status, but about being a sustainer. I want you to catch this. Because when Jesus uses master of the house and then he uses servant, there are different responsibilities that come in with this. Now, we live in a, we live in a culture that it's all about status. And if we're not careful, we can, uh, we can really find ourselves falling in and wanting to have our own form of status. Thank you for the t-shirts, but I'm not that kind of status on the back. I love the fact that I could leave for eight weeks and you guys still showed up and loved on one another and loved Jesus because it's not about me. I'm not in this for the status. The servant is constantly dishing out, sustaining the amount of water that's in the cup, sustaining the amount of food that's on the plate, making sure that whoever they are assigned to take care of in their circle of influence, they are sustaining. Then Jesus in chapter 25, he gives, he gives the, the parable of the ten virgins, the ten virgins. Five were wise and five were unwise. When the, when the groom came, five of them were prepared and the others were not. And it's in this story that you have to understand that Jesus does not want us to be, and some of you need to hear me on this, does not want us to be passive about our spirituality. But he wants us to be proactive. The, the, the five that came without, they came and they basically, they just said, well, this is, this is the gospel message in America today. It's all about you. He's coming for you. Let him into your life. He will take care of every need, every problem. And, and will he do that? Yes. But it's not about him coming to you. It's about us coming to him. And when we choose to come to him, we prepare ourselves in coming to him. Now, they were all asleep. But because uh, five had prepared, when the awakening came, they were ready. And I believe that God is calling us to live in such expectancy that we will be prepared because we are proactive about our life in Christ, that even though we sleep, because when I was a little rich, there was a guy in our church, I'm in Texas, Texas, so I'll say it this way, bless his heart, would come up to me at the end of service because, listen, if my mom was preaching, she preached long and I fell asleep. And he would tell me, you're going to sleep right through the rapture. Here's the thing. Jesus comes on Israel time. Chances are we're going to be asleep. But the moment we wake, we'll want to be prepared. We want to be ready to receive him. Then he goes on, he gives a story. And I could do a sermon on each and every one of these. Just It's not time, obviously. But he does the parable of the talents. One, the master gave five talents to, another one he gave two, and one gave one. The one that he gave one talent to was completely inactive. God has gifted every person in this room, hear me on these next words, not to build Bethel. God has gifted each and every one of you to use your gifts to reach your circle of influence so that that which is growing in you might be reproduced in those that are around you. 
And so when you are looking for Jesus' return, when you are longing for Jesus' return, when you expect him to come back, you will not be inactive about reproducing that which is inside of you. You will be involved in such a way that you are giving to people who are around you. Uh, to me, that is the, that's the primary part of igniting change in our vision that we are using our talents to reach people in the, in the high schools, to reach people in the college area, to reach people in the marketplace, to reach people in their various places of business, where we are saying, Jesus, you've given me this grace, and I don't want to bury it because I know you're coming back. And so I'm going to invest it. I'm going to give it. And then the last one that Jesus gives is uh, the... The, the parable between the, the sheep and the goats. I find it very interesting, don't have time, but you know, there, there are also six primary differences between sheep and goats. Let me just give you a couple of them because you just don't have time. First and foremost, the, the, the sheep, they produce wool that cover other people. Goats just have hair. Because it really has everything to do with in this, as I kind of was just praying through, Lord, where are you bringing here? It has to do with a life that is not self-centered, but a life that is ultimately Christ-centered. Do you know that, that even, and some of you that have the bigger properties know this about goats, they eat anything. But sheep have a very specific diet. The thing that I found very interesting about the difference between sheep and goats was that actually they, they, each of them have different glands and because of the glands that are part of the, the goat and where it's at, goats are actually significantly more smelly than sheep. Of course, the behavior differences, the goats get into all sorts of trouble. But all of these parables, all of them have to do with, with Jesus bringing to our attention that we are expected to live expectingly or expecting the expected one. So let me just give, let me give a couple things that we kind of move into our, our go piece. And I want to just talk about the, to, that we're to look, we're to live, and we're to love. We're to look, we're to live, we're to love. When it comes to the look part, uh, you may not be aware of this. In South America, or maybe some of you are, there's actually what they call a four-eyed fish. This four-eyed fish is called um, uh, anableps. And, and it's not that it has different eyeballs, but it's set to where the eyes can look above the water and the lower parts of the eyes are able to look into the water. I don't think there is a better illustration than living a life of expectancy than looking toward heaven and longing for and desiring the coming of Jesus Christ while simultaneously looking at our lives and living and going about what God has made us, told us to go about with on a day-to-day -day basis until his return. That's how we're to live. We live expectingly. I really think that, that it's, it's in this, in this that, we, that we grow. And, and certainly being part of a of a life group at Bethel, we always want to keep encouraging you and challenging you and, and even holding you accountable to the place where you learn to really look and, at spiritual things because the, the, the reality of Jesus coming, he's coming, but he's already here too. 
He's alive and active in our world today. And I know the things that Rex went over. I know he talked to you about that. And, and he, he's alive and active. And, and I pray constantly for me, Lord, help me see. Help me have those eyes that are above the water that I'm able to look at your activity here and there. So I, beca- so I grow in that. And I, and I learn that more and more while, while still getting up, sometimes being grouchy, sometimes being in a good mood, sometimes knowing that the bills are going to be great, knowing sometimes the bills are going to be bad. But I never lose sight of the up above. It changes the way we live. And I, I wanna, want you to see it a little bit this way too. You're here this morning and you have immense problems in your life. If you learn to live with four eyes, two spiritual eyes and two, two earthly eyes, here's what you're going to find. Your problems will cause you to turn toward what we call the blessed hope. Your problems will cause you to look to Jesus and even more long for his return. As we grow and we, we, we um, begin to understand that we, we are people of promise, we live with promises, that the promises that have been given us, they keep us pointed that way. We don't, we don't look to the, to the right or left. We don't look at the promises of this world as, as the things that we're going to try to grab a hold of. No, we are looking fully to the promises that have been given through Jesus. But then we grow in this life of, of this person of Jesus where he's constantly leading us. He's constantly leading us. I expect to be woken up by Jesus when the rapture happens, if in fact it happens after 9.15 in the evening and before 4.30 in the morning. I fully expect it because it will not be the first time that Jesus nudges me. It won't be the first time that he will say something and I will recognize his voice. Now you're here and you're going, well, I never hear Jesus's voice. If you are a follower of Jesus, you've heard his voice because nobody comes to the father lest he draw them. No one says yes until the spirit of Jesus said, take on my punishment. I did it for you. Come into my life. But it's a matter of growing. It's a matter of maturing. It's a matter of really being asked questions that allow you to see what his opportunity, what he is actually doing. But I included the word love because of something said Jesus said earlier in Matthew 24. Jesus said that in the last days, the love of many will wax cold. That tells me a couple things. It tells me that there are people that once loved. And, and, and this isn't a humanistic form of love. This is a Jesus love. But if you live a life where your eyes are only under the water, and you're not looking heavenly, something's going to come along, and it is going to so anger you that the idea of listening to the homeless person that said kill him would be something you would think about. Because that love is wax cold. That, that life of looking for Jesus and longing for Jesus has, has long since passed. This last week, I don't know where I was at, I, but this, you know, different songs come on my heart. And a song came on my heart that the Lord really just uh, kind of had me camp out in one portion of. Is the song is, You Are Beautiful. Your face is all I seek. And the, one of the verses says, Restore to me the lamp of my first love, the light of my first love. And I just said, Jesus, I never want to lose that. I don't want to ever not be on fire for you. After 32 years being married to Clarissa, I love her more today than I did certainly in our first two years. 
Okay? But it doesn't mean that we are Hollywood passionate when the door closes at night. And some of you think that's the way you got to live for Jesus. No. Yet your love grows for him. There is a steadiness. There is a confidence. There is a, a, a recognition that, man, if that person, in regard to marriage, if, they, if something happened to Clarissa, I don't know what I would do. Same way with Jesus. Now, the reality is, as Jesus waits to return, one of us may go home before the other one in marriage. But here's what I know about Jesus. I'm never losing him. You know why? Because he has all of me. And I want him to have all of you. I don't ever want a person to, to not be ready and attentive and desiring for Jesus to come back. I really felt, and I just, this is where I'm going to close, right here. And this kind of is what, it's probably three weeks ago, maybe four weeks ago, the Lord started sending me down this tracks found in, in 2 Peter. It says this, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. Now, in the scripture, don't be American. Don't be American and go, that's a scoffer, they're scoffers, and act like you're not. They will say, where's the promise of the coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they did from the beginning of creation. He goes on a little bit further and he says, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, I pray that everybody in this room, every person that's watching online, will have hearts that are ready for your return. And I believe, Holy Spirit, even this morning, you were challenging hearts. And you were saying that needs to die in your life. You need to look away from that. You need to look toward this. And I pray, Lord, that we will say yes, yes, yes to you. Lord, I know that's not solved in, in coming to the altar. That's solved by looking at you, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that there would be commitments in hearts today that will say, I'm going to live differently. I'm going to start looking to Jesus. Start saying yes to him. If you're the person that loved greatly in years gone by and that you're more irritated with people than you are graceful with people, I pray the fire of his presence would just consume your heart today and that you would fully embrace the life that God has for you loving even your enemies. And so, Father, we thank you for doing that in Jesus' name. Now, I want one step that you can take, and I, we're going to be pressing this hard over the next number of weeks. We want every person to be in a life group where someone is, is looking at you and saying, what's the Lord talking to you about this week? What's the activity that you're seeing? And if you're not part of that, make sure you fill out one of these grow cards. You can just drop it in one of the offerings or offering boxes around the room. Because we, I, I believe the big part of where Bethel is going in the next number of months and years has everything to do with not what's taking place on Sunday, but what's taking place Monday through Saturday. And he wants you 
profoundly involved. So, hey, thank you for letting me pastor. I love you guys. Let me thank, thank you for making me push your toes back under your feet because I'm sure I stepped on a few feet this morning. Hey, thank you again for joining us. We hope that our time together has been a blessing to you. And it doesn't have to end there. If you want to find last week's sermon, you can go to Facebook, YouTube, or you can listen to us on the audio podcast. You can let us know if you'd like to be further connected in a life group. But let me go ahead and pray as we close and say, God, thank you for being with us, Lord God. Thank you for helping us to carry your words, Lord God, and change our lives, Lord. Help us to carry your love to those around us. And we thank you for what you are doing. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you and thank you for being a part. We hope to see you soon.